Hi, board. Hey, hey, board. It's me out here. Me out here. It's Ron out here. Um, I have a tip for you tonight so we can kind of capture stuff. So when we're doing motions and seconds, it will be nice to, you know, make sure that you speak right in to it. Um, so if you, when you're doing motions and seconds, because it's really difficult from the video to capture that, especially if you're, well, I have a second here, you know, it just disappears. So it will, it will help us. Anything else? Catherine, on the, on that regard, you need to speak into your mic for them, though. Speak in, no, speak into your mic and show them how it works. <laughs> call the meeting to order, uh, Catherine. If you would do uh, roll call, but I do want to let you know that Rosado Segura is running a little late with the weather and traffic. Trustee Baker here. Trustee Martinson here. Trustee Baldini here. Trustee Segura. Trustee Rios. Here. Trustee Sandu is not present. Um, Vice President Kyle Anderson. Here. And um, President Marianne. Here. And she's wondering where she's sitting. Yeah, you're over there, Rosada. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> Trustee uh, Segura is present. Now, you're all just going to have to be a little patient this evening with my first meeting. So it'll take me a minute to uh, to thumb through what's next. At this time, we will, uh, uh, the board will devote up to 15 minutes for comments to the Board of Trustees regarding closed session agenda items. Individuals will be limited to a five-minute presentation. Are there any comments on closed no, session? Not. Okay. Then we will adjourn to closed session. Oh. Wasn't it hard enough? I didn't hit it hard enough or what? <laughs> oh, okay. All right, we will adjourn to closed session, conference with labor negotiations, public employment, and uh, 4.3 pending litigation with legal counsel. February 12th. And uh, Luis Alcazar, Luis Alcazar, Associate Dean Mesa and STEM programs beginning on February 1st. And there is nothing else to report out of closed session. We will uh, now do the Pledge of Allegiance and Trustee Segura, lead the way. Thank you. We will also adopt the agenda, but we are going to be removing, uh, because the document was not prepared already, uh, which is which was number 14.12, Facilities Use Agreement for the Napa Silverados. So uh, other than that, uh, are there any other objections to adopting the agenda? Agenda adopted.
And moving right along, we have a presentation starting with Doug Ernst. And then, Doug, I believe you'll tell us about the rest of the folks who are going to talk to us. Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much. Looking forward to this. Well, board, this is one of those fun things I get to do. Uh, we have um, heard from four elected leaders at the uh, legislator breakfast the other day that uh, career technical education is a big deal for this community. Um, federal, state, local folks told us the college is known for its creating jobs for its students. And um, today we have an example of that. Uh, the first person I'd like to introduce is uh, the mechanical tool technology uh, professor. Um, his name is uh, Stan Hitchcock, and I'd like him to come and talk to us about how he discovered a student. <laughs> Good evening, Madam President, board members, President Kraft, and staff members. Uh, it's a really a pleasure to come before you and, and talk about the uh, machine tool technology program here at Napa Valley College. I've been here since the fall of 2016, and it's been just an incredibly fun ride so far. And uh, I really enjoy the interaction with the student. I'm getting great support from 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 my my boss, uh, who's who's here tonight. I want to recognize Diana also. And uh, um, uh, anyway, it's been fun. But an especially bright spot in my program is Liz McPherson, who is sitting over here. Now, Liz, I, I inherited her in, in my third semester class in, in machine tool technology, and, and, and learning her story, I became more and more fascinated about it, and, and that uh, uh, as, a, as a single mom, and I don't want to steal your thunder too much, but, uh, but she, she came to Napa Valley College and kind of serendipitously ended up in the machine tool technology program. Kind of an unusual fit for her. Uh, but uh, but nonetheless, she excelled, and 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 I recognize that, and um, and and also uh, I have very very good industry partners. Bob Payne is here from Shell Refinery Martinez. Also, Bob and and Shell are big supporters of of my program. Um, Shell sits on my industry advisory board, and and they they are very interested in my program. Uh, they have a lot of faith in it. And, and uh, they are uh, one of the main recipients of my graduates. So I, I look at my program as bringing these students in and basically giving them the knowledge, skills, and education where they can go out and get the, the job experience. And, and he is, he's on, on the output side of that. And he's been a very key player in, in, the, in the success of my program. And, and, I, and I, I talk him up in his, his program quite a bit in, in, in my travels. But getting back to, to, to Liz, so uh, Liz, Liz became more and more interested in, in pursuing, pursuing machine tool technology as a, as a, as a vocation. And Shell has a, an internship uh, where, where they hire uh, folks uh, who, who graduate my program as a, a, on an interim basis, kind of as a touchy-feely program, let's see how you work out and things, and, and then they hire them permanently. Well, I'm happy to announce that Liz went through that internship after graduation and was offered permanent employment w with Shell. And now she enjoys making a very, very good living, working wage in, in industry and, and keeping the wheels of commerce turning. And uh, um, I'm very, very proud of her. 
I, I know that Bob is very, very proud of her, and and so so um, I talk her up as as much as I can, especially with with females. That that hey, there's there's a lot of interest, you know, in in in, in this program for everyone. There's room for everyone in the in this program. Um, so I'm very very proud to have her. I'm proud to show her off tonight. And uh, uh, Doug, Doug, who, who are we going to have come up next and talk? I think I've said enough. Okay. Very good talk. Very good. Thank you. Uh, so basically, uh, Bob Payne is here from Shell to say a few words about the internship and how um, they wanted to keep her after her nine-week internship. Bob Payne. Good evening, Madam President, board members. Um, thank you for having me here tonight. Um, I want to first say thank you very much for having this program. So I've been struggling for many years to find a college that has the programs that we need to get great talent that we can help develop and give good jobs to. Um, so I've been working for 12 years with several different colleges trying to find the right ones that have the right programs in place that we can put a program together where we bring them in on an internship, we bring them in for three months, if we really like them and see what, see good potential there, we hire them. And then we put them through more training on our site, and typically we expect long-term employment for that, that individual. Um, Elizabeth is one of, them, one of them talents that we think was a great find, and uh, I have actually had quite a few other um, students from your program, and I'm looking forward to hiring a whole lot more from your program. So thank you very much, and please keep that program alive because it helps support us. That was uh, May. She was about ready to walk, graduate. And I asked her, well, what are you going to do about this internship? What are you going to do after your nine weeks is up? And she said, they're going to fall in love with me and hire me full time. <laughs> Let me introduce Liz McPherson. Hello. Um, I had a speech all prepared, but some people took my... Lines. So, <laughs> um, my name is Elizabeth McPherson. I go by Liz. I'm 28, Napa native. I, after two years being a single stay-at-home mom, I decided that it'd be a good idea to go back to school, and I actually ended up taking machine tool technology on accident. But I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the craft and the machinery. I loved what I did, and Shell came and offered me an internship. I also got a scholarship from them. And now I'm working for them full time. So thank you for having the Machine Tool Technology Program. Thank you, Liz. Any questions from the board? Great. Thank you, everybody. I, I would like to just, no question, I don't have a question, but I just would like to recognize Liz one more time and, you know, the program, Stan, as well as our uh, employer at Shell. I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Bob, um, thank you. And um, it just, this is what we do, right? This is why we do and what we do, and it's, so great. I mean, I was a single mom, too. 
and I know it's not an easy road to go. So congratulations to you because I know this is going to define um, everything you do moving forward. Congratulations to you. Okay. So, Raphael, <laughs> I have a little I have a little gift for you here today. Um, but I would like to say a few things, which are um, first of all, thank you for your year during a tough year. A lot of things came before the board that I think you handled in your normal calm approach and balanced approach to everything. And I really appreciate your leadership and all that you did for us throughout that year. So um, do I want to have him come over here and hit him on the head with it? Or I would think you should. <laughs> yeah. oh, I thought this was a check presentation. Come on over. <laughs> All right, so thank you, Raphael. And then I would just like to say thank a few you. words, um, if I could, going into my year as chair. And uh, I'm going to read it because I wrote some stuff down to make sure that I didn't forget anything. So, um, so looking forward to this year as president of the Board of Trustees, uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to express some thoughts and expectations. I'm interested in providing leadership around the adoption of board goals, the collaboration needed to achieve student success, the continued commitment from the board to shared governance, and policy-level discussion and decisions. I would also like to ask for the board's commitment to respectful communications, collaboration, honoring the board by speaking with one voice for the common good, honoring the college president as our one employee and supporting his initiatives and success, follow appropriate protocol and respect. Oh, I didn't realize it could make me scroll down here. And respect all lines of communication. And that, um, that's it. I'm looking forward to this year and uh, everyone's input on anything we might do to, uh, to improve our work. So now we will go to uh, public comment. At this time, the board will devote a total of up to 15 minutes for comments to the Board of Trustees regarding any subject not appearing as an agenda item for this meeting, but over which the board has jurisdiction. The public may ask the board to place an item related to the business of the district on a future board agenda. No action or discussion will occur at this time on such items. Individuals will be limited to a five-minute presentation. At this time, the board chair uh, will pull those in attendance regarding the intent to speak on any item on the agenda. And I will just let you know that um, we are going to definitely be timing uh, speaking, we've kind of in the past maybe let that run away a little bit from us. So, Ron, um, I think you're going to time time that for me. Sure. Thank you very much. Pardon? Yeah. Okay. And we do have uh, a couple of cards 
here in front of us. Uh, first of all, Arnold Koenig. Hello, Madam President, uh, Dr. Kraft, and the board. Uh, I'm a member of a group, uh, Napa County Alliance for Senior Education. We were formed April the 15th, 2015. Uh, we meet every Tuesday in the library uh, conference room, 1763 at 9.30 in the morning. Everybody is invited to attend our meetings. We <clears throat> deal with mainly senior issues. Um, uh, on your desk there in front of you is a flyer, and that flyer is uh, of a meeting next Friday. Uh, Kyle was good enough to invite me to address the board. It's from 9 until 3. It's a multi-county meeting, uh, mainly people from Napa, Sonoma, and Solano, uh, a few people from Yolo County. And what we're doing is we are planning... Uh, June is Elder Abuse Awareness Month. <clears throat> We've given uh, two symposiums out here at the college in the PAC Center, um, and we've also done a symposium on Alzheimer's, too. So we're getting together, multi-county, to discuss ideas, collaboration, uh, a lot, forming alliances, and working on senior issues. So I just wanted to invite everybody to our regular meetings and... It's amazing that a group of volunteers comes every week, same people. You couldn't pay people to come and attend meetings like we have. And I want to thank you, Dr. Kraft, very much for all of your support and the support of the college. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for people to give back to the college. I was taking classes 42 years ago out here. I remember that. So. I want to thank you, you very, very much. At some point in time, we'll also discuss some of the proposals that, that we're putting together right now. I won't go into detail there because they're in progress. So I'd uh, be happy to um, keep you posted. So I'll be attending the board meetings on a regular basis and saying hi every, every now and then. Thank you very much. Thank you. Are there any more uh, speakers for just general public? I know we have Liam wants to speak on an agenda item. Um, that's, so, okay, great. We will move on to constituent group reports. And Happy New Year's to uh, our constituent group. And we'll start with Amanda Badgett. Good evening, board. Um, as the semester is still very, very young. I don't have a lengthy report. I would just like to mention um, how gratifying it was to attend uh, Flex Day, and Marianne did so, and I believe Michael as well. And I'm, if I'm missing anyone else, my apologies. Um, it, it was gratifying for me personally as, uh, to get to hear my colleagues both part-time and full-time colleagues share expertise, life experience, ideas about teaching and engaging students on a whole host of subjects. And it was um, a really great way to get inspired to go back into the classroom, which most faculty at this point have. And um, we have a big, very 
big, busy semester ahead of us. Among highlights are many significant hires, both in faculty and in administration, and we as a faculty are getting ready to uh, serve on various selection committees, and uh, this in addition to various policies and procedures that we are undergoing, that are undergoing various levels of review, and so promises to be a very busy and I hope very productive semester. Thank you. Thank you. And Administrative Confidential Senate Report, Ken Arnold. Uh, much like Amanda, it's just <laughs> we're what two days, two days into the semester, so there's not a lot of lot to report from our end, other than we have uh, started off the semester. I do want to say leadership program continues uh, developing. The first part of uh, this year is going to be uh, leadership, sort of brown bag or slash coffees for folks who have attended leadership uh, training previously to uh, sort of deal with other issues. We're getting ready to, to roll out. Uh, the leadership program will begin next semester. That will be taught by uh, people who are stepping in to replace myself. And, by the way, if you see the leadership pins on folks, if you're a graduate of the leadership class, you're going to get a leadership pin, and that always distinguish uh, the folks who have actually taken the class. If you're having pin envy, you got to take the class. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all I have. Ken, I, I have to say, though, I didn't realize uh, you were so great at stand-up. I mean, when I saw you. I work, don't try to be funny. I saw when just, you I mean, work in that stage yeah. the other day. I was, I was surprised. Yeah, I don't try. I, I try not to be funny. It just seems to be how my life goes. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we have Associate Students of Nap Valley College report from Raphael, but he's not here just yet. Uh, yeah, so we haven't met yet this semester. We'll still, we still have to pick our meeting time, but some things that we will be doing this semester is planning graduation reception. We're looking into new furniture for the Student Activity Center in our office. And that's really about as much as we have right now. We haven't met yet, obviously, so more to come in the future. Thank you. Classified Association report, Jan Shart. Jan is not here. And Classified Senate report, Mike Rayford is not here. And Faculty Association report, Christy Omoto is here. I am here. <laughs> uh, and uh, like many of the other constituent groups, we've not had any meetings yet. Uh, no uh, executive board meeting that'll be on Monday, and our general meeting will be uh, the second Thursday in February. So it's quite a while until our general meeting. Um, I did want to note that uh, we have a statewide union publication called The Advocate, which is the higher ed uh, CTA branch publication, and that our own Merrick McKeague and his students were actually um, featured on the front page of that publication. Um, it is available online over at CCA for me.org and so if anyone wants to read about it but he was featured very prominently was gracious enough to give an interview to the uh, to the social media person uh, over at CCA and we shall be very proud of him thank you thank you we have and she's ready 
I mean, I'm she ready. Is so just I, I have ready. a lot to report, actually. <laughs> like the Napa CEO. Valley College Foundation report and branch. Okay, thank you. Um, so actually, even since we met last time, we still have students trickling in who who lost everything because of the fire. So we now have a total of um, 18 students that we've helped anywhere from $50 to $500, and we've distributed over about $34,000 um, to them to help them out. Um, we just completed a grant request to the California Community Colleges, which is a small, small um, support, but they're going to divide it by five schools, so we should get something from that, too. We just did our annual appeal, and as of last week, we received $46,000. That's been a really good year for that. We had one major gift, a big gift from that, too. And um, happy to announce that... We've also, I just started a $10,000 endowed scholarship with the Napa uh, Medical Alliance Group, and they're funding a couple scholarships for students in the health, in any health career. So we're excited about that, to manage their money. Um, a donor, an anonymous donor no, notified me that he has left us an irrevocable trust, anywhere from $200,000 to $300,000, so we're working with him to get those documents in hand, and, and that's really nice. Um, and now it's scholarship season, so we're encouraging every, all the students to apply for that. And Glenn is coming back to help us with that. And it goes along with hiring an accounting firm and a bookkeeper still in progress. Any questions? Yes? Well, first, thank, thank you for your work, especially with the fire relief fund. That's really wonderful. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering, do we know when um, is the new MOU Created yet with the college? Do we we're, we're, continue, that? we're continuing that for um, another, I think, a quarter or half a quarter. We still we have we we found a bookkeeper. We're working on an accounting firm, so we need that before we can fully break away. Thank you. Thank you, Head. Okay, President's cabinet reports. We'll just um, Bob. Let's start with Bob if you have something. Yes, I do. So um, just a, a few items to report, all from uh, the Business and Finance Office. Um, first of all, the eighteen nineteen planning and budget development process is continuing. We have a couple of deadlines coming up um, on February 26th. Unit plans are due at uh, area councils, and then area councils will review those, and they're due to President's Cabinet on April 6th. I've also requested, we discussed this at the Audit and Finance Committee meeting last week, although the Audit and Finance Committee will be changing at tonight's meeting. So I'm requesting that we schedule a meeting of the Audit and Finance Committee in early February um, so that we can review three items. First of all, the potential refinancing of our Series C bonds. Um, our contract with our independent certified public accounting firm this was the third year of a three-year commitment, but the proposal included the option to extend for two more years, and so that's what uh, what we need to discuss. And then our results of operations through 1231 of 17, those will be coming to the full board at the February meeting, and so the uh, Audit and Finance Committee reviewing that in advance of that full board meeting. There's one thing that I didn't include on the report that I do want to add, and that is that 
the business and finance office and the HR office are meeting on Monday to begin reviewing the position control module in the Elysian colleague system to look toward implementing that to give us better control over uh, the hiring of hourly employees. And that's my report. Thank you. Eric, sure. Vice President of Instruction. Interim Vice President of Instruction. Uh, good evening, Board of Trustees. So uh, just a few quick things for you here tonight. As other constituent groups have reported, we did just get started back up here this week, and it was fantastic to see the faculty and the students show back up. Um, so just a few things for you here tonight, and there is a, a, a document that's posted on the Board Docs website for you um, that you can refer to as well. So starting off uh, with where we're at right now in terms of our enrollment and uh, where we see ourselves at the moment. So um, as of this morning, and again, this was about 9 a.m. this morning, so these numbers could fluctuate a little bit, we had 15,360 enrollments. That is, and that's not students, that's enrollments. And so that means um, a student that has enrolled in a section. Um, so 15,360 enrollments, 5,633 unique headcount, um, 743 course sections that we're offering. Um, what that really translates to, though, and what we're really pleased to see right now is that that, that represents a stable enrollment plus minus 1%, and in some areas actually some increased enrollment, depending on what program it is that we're looking at. So that's a, a, a really favorable uh, place for us to be in uh, here today. And we do expect those numbers to go up because we still have our late start courses that will be starting up next week and actually even the week after that. And then we have a lot of courses where uh, enrollment is by audition in our theater arts programs and other areas or it's limited entry in some sort. So those numbers are going to continue going up. So we're really happy with where we're at right now and right on target with our projections for this coming semester. Um, uh, one area that we are looking at right now, so one of the things that we're uh, working on hard at the moment is uh, reviewing wait lists for courses right now to see if there's any areas where we might be able to offer more course sections to meet the uh, to meet student demand. So we are reviewing all of that right now. Uh, my dean of instruction, Maria Villa Gomez, and I are working with all of our academic deans across the board to identify some areas where we might be able to. We do have some limitations in terms of facilities actually being available to um, offer those additional sections, and uh, staffing is always an issue in some of these key areas where we always have large student demand, including chemistry, math, English, and other disciplines like that that are um, common to a lot of different uh, programs here on campus. So uh, the other thing that I wanted to present to you number-wise tonight is just a little follow-up from last semester because there had been questions and there, were, there was discussion about what the impact of the fire was going to be on student success last semester. We had a two-week closure that was unprecedented in the history of the college during the middle of the semester. Um, there was a lot of adjusting that had to happen when we came back from that. Um, and I am really, really excited to report the numbers that I have here. Now, numbers are not stories. Number is not a narrative. But these are really telling in terms of what actually happened and what some of the things that all of us working together collectively accomplished last semester. So uh, we had 16,657 enrollments um, at the end of the term. Our retention rates, so retention, that is a student who was here at our census date fourth week into the semester and who received an evaluative uh, symbol at the end. So they were they either passed or failed a course or received something at the end indicating that they were still there. Um, we had a 90% retention rate, 90.3% retention rate. That means 90% 90 of the students that were here at week four were here at the end of the semester. That in and of itself, even absent the other numbers, is extraordinary considering what happened. 
and where we were in the middle. And then on top of that, that was actually an increase over the previous fall when there was no two-week closure in the middle of it. So we had a 1.9% increase in our, re- in our retention rates, um, which is just r- really quite extraordinary given where we were last semester. Successful course completion rates, that is the percentage of students that get a C or better in the course. That is, they, they pass the class. Um, so on that one, we had a 74.1% successful course completion rate. And again, on that, we had an increase over the previous fall of 1.68% on that. And then finally, our fill rates, which is how many students enroll versus how many seats are available. Um, we had an increase in that over, over the previous term, too. Um, all of those numbers tell a story to me. I, I, I obsess over numbers on an almost daily basis. It's an integral part of my job. But when I see that, what I see is all of the people that sit out here, your constituent group leaders, um, my fellow managers that are, that are up here at the, at the table with all of you, uh, we really pulled this one off last semester, that we were able to respond to the student need when they came back, that the teachers were able to adjust for two weeks of closure in the middle of a term and still get students through successfully, that student affairs uh, 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 professionals, the administrators, the counseling faculty, um, all of the support staff were able to support the students in doing that's really extraordinary. I'm really, really happy to report these numbers here to you tonight because we really weren't sure what was going to happen after a closure like that. But this paints a really good picture on how everybody responded. And so I do want to make sure that I thank everybody that did that did the extraordinary work that we had to do at the end of last term, um, faculty for having to continue to do that all the way up until finals and, and, and beyond in some cases, um, adapting, changing, and, and making sure that their students got what they needed. So thank you to everybody for that. Um, and again, it's a testament to the, to the people that all of you as a board have hired and the people that work here at the college. It's a phenomenal success, um, particularly given what happened last term. So thank you to everybody. Um, so a little a tiny story um, here, here tonight um, about one of our programs. So emergency medical services is one of our uh, career education programs that's located in our health occupations. Um, I had the wonderful pleasure of serving as the curriculum committee chair here at the college 10 years ago when the program was first being developed, when we got the initial grant, um, and I helped the dean and the faculty members that were working on that get that program implemented. had a really interesting experience with that program this week. Um, Earlier on in the week, um, on our Flex Day, our Instructional Excellence Day on Tuesday, um, we had a medical emergency here on campus during the middle of one of our division meetings. Um, there were a lot of employees um, who were at that division meeting that, that responded to that medical emergency and saved somebody's life. Um, and you'll hear a little bit more about that next month. Um, one of the things that happened without those that, of course, 911 was called in the middle of that. And you call 911 in a medical emergency, they send paramedics to the scene. The two paramedics who came to the scene were a graduate of our program and a current student in our EMS program who's finishing off his clinical rotations right now in our EMS program. He's enrolled in our uh, EMS 310 uh, course uh, this semester. Um, those two paramedics who were trained here in our, in our academic program then took that, that uh, staff member to the ER here in, in town, and the uh, attending physician in the ER is the medical director of our EMS program. Um, it was this very, I mean, I've grown up here in the Valley. I'm from now, I'm from, well, I'm from St. Helena, Angwin, really, if I'm, if I'm honest about it. Um, you know, everybody knows everybody around, around these parts, and even Napa, as much as it's grown, is still this very small town in, in, in many ways. And it's, it was amazing to have this experience this last week where that was true even in the middle of an emergency. 
Um, so I just wanted to, uh, just to highlight that, you know, we have a very, very, very strong program in our emergency medical services. The director of the program, when I followed up with him yesterday, also let me know that all of the paramedics in the, in the, nearby, in, in the nearby fire station are also all graduates of our program. Um, that they've gone that they've gone through it, and I'm just really proud to work with all of the people that I work with, and really proud of whatever of what our students have done and the programs that our faculty have built. And amazing testament to that this week um, in saving one of our colleagues' lives. It was truly extraordinary. So, just a quick preview: things that are coming to you, you're going to be seeing an MOU. I hope this uh, semester between us and uh, our local K-12 partners, our districts, um, regarding dual enrollment. Uh, we'll be bringing also some information on guided pathways, a term that I would just want to keep saying every time I'm in front of you because you're going to keep hearing it for, for, the, next, for the next few years. It's, a, it's a, a, a very popular term, I should say, in our system right now. Uh, so we'll be bringing more information to you on guided pathways as we're moving forward with that as an institution. Uh, we'll be bringing some tenure-track faculty hires to you later on this semester. And then finally, we'll have new and revised curriculum for you at every single board meeting as usual. Um, and we anticipate some new programs coming through this, this coming spring that I'm really, I'll be really excited to share with you and to propose to you for approval later on in the semester. And that concludes my report for tonight. Thank you. Thank you. It's exciting to hear yes, about those successes. That's really A uh, couple questions for Eric, I think, from the trustees. Mm -hmm. uh, Trustee Baker. First, I wanted to um, ask, is the enrollment headcount, does that include the community education? So this is credit and non-credit. All the numbers that I'm showing you are the credit and non-credit courses. So community education, we count separately from this because those are those don't go into our state reporting numbers where we claim apportionment from the state. And it, it doesn't affect us in that way. The other question I had was just about the fill rate. You said that 82.7%, that's representative of students who wanted to get into a course and did? Yes. So does that mean that 17 and some change did not get the classes that they wanted? Well, it, so, so that looks different depending on what area you're looking at. So a fill rate, let's imagine you have 20 seats available in a class. Um, an 82% fill rate is 16 students enrolling for that course section where there's 20. That's an average across the entire, across the entire college. Uh, there are many disciplines where that fill rate is 100%, 105%. Um, we even have some 110% uh, where people are kind of packed in at the beginning of the term. But that varies course to course, program to program. But that represents how many students enrolled versus how many total seats were available. Some um, two questions. Oh, yeah. Um, so with the 2018 enrollment data, um, so we used to always talk about at full time equivalent students, yeah, and yeah. now I'm seeing this um, term head count. So is that just the total number of students, both part-time and full-time, that are enrolled versus full-time equivalent students? So, so head, head count is the, total, is the total count of students, both full-time or part-time. Okay. Yeah, um, so, so one thing I will say, so full, the full-time equivalent student number is usually something that we would report out at the end of the term, not at the beginning, because there's potential FTES, and then there's actual FTES that we would generate based on what happens at the end. Okay, and that's kind of related to the second question. So for the follow-up for fall 2017, um, do you happen to know offhand what the FTS was and where that was from 2016? Uh, we have a meeting that's coming up in early February where we review that data, and we'll have, that, we'll have an exact number um, at that point. We're still crunching all of the information on that, so that number becomes available usually a month or two after the conclusion of the term. So we have a a group that includes uh, the dean of uh, uh, Jessica Erickson, that includes myself, 
Maria Gomez and others, uh, Bob Parker, where we, we review that data and come up with that number. So that's something that's, that we'll have available in a couple of weeks from now okay, for fall. Thank, thank you. Others? Um, Vice President Oscar DeHaro. Well, first of all, I want to apologize for not having a uh, uh, re re report here for you this evening, but, but I, I, um, I just got back from 10 glorious days uh, from the state of, uh, to, to say Yucatan, um, and I'm still in the haze and the days, or perhaps both. But what I would like to say is that is that it's uh, it's it's been very obvious that the students that we've seen the last uh, day or so um, having come on campus and appear to be very very happy and very pleased with with experience for the semester, and that's a result uh, uh, as well of the services that have been offered to them by by our our student affairs uh, groups and and services. Um, but I would I also want to ask you to to note to say the dates. Uh, uh, April the uh, four, April the the nineteenth, we will have our thirteenth annual uh, high school breakfast. Again, this is the, the the event that we've had every year for for twelve years. And it's a program. It's a project that, that I started when I first arrived here, and so it's going to be on April the the nineteenth. It's a Thursday. The other uh, date uh, is May the twenty fourth. May the twenty fourth is our commencement, and May twenty fourth is a Thursday. Uh, as you know, in, in the previous years. Uh, we have we, we have a commencement on Friday. Uh, this year we're changing it to a Thursday to avoid any issues in terms of uh, traffic and, and and attendance as a result of Bottle Rock. So uh, this year we'll, we'll have a commencement on Thursday, May 24th. And lastly, I just want to share with you that on February the 10th, we will be the host site of the campus for a visit for the Mexican uh, consulate in San Francisco. They will be here to, uh, uh, to offer and to provide uh, documents to our Mexican citizens here in Napa County. So we usually they expect about four, four, uh, about four, four, four hundred people, and uh, and so we're we're pleased to be once again the site that they've chosen uh, to to provide that that service. Thank you. Thank you, Oscar. Um, public information officer Doug Ernst. A couple of clippings just didn't make this report because they happened uh, after the deadline, so to speak. And uh, I just wanted to bring your attention to one of them, uh, or two of them. One is the Association of Community College Trustees, the Washington, D.C. group, that wrote an extensive story about this college and its service during the fire with photos. It's four or five pages. Um, they sent that uh, document to just about every college in the country. So you're famous for the work that you did for the evacuees, 780 over eight days. Congratulations. That will be in next month's report. Um, the second one is you may have seen ABC TV was here on campus and uh, had a front-page story in the, in the register about the FBI. It was called in thanks to uh, Chief Arnold. Uh, he offered the, the college for a, a training place for the FBI to train our local law enforcement officials officers on how to stop a shooter, how to stop shooters. And uh, just a tremendous achievement, I think, that the college was selected to do this training, a great uh, service by this college to this community. Again, congratulations. Thank you, Doug. And, and the standard clipping service is there, and I, it's, a, it's a long one, but take a look at it if, you, if you'd like. Um, I think just one thing. I had just 
put a either either flyer is fine. Um, I just save the date um, for board. We have this coming up, our 75th Founders Day Celebration Festival and Open House. Um, it is April 14th, as you can see, 10 a.m. to 4 a.m. There'll be a lot of things going on. We have uh, quite a list, and we'll be forwarding that out to you. Um, boy, everybody's stepping up for the 75th. Um, faculty, staff, a lot of a lot of uh, tour of, of the facility, um, talking about you know what we do, um, looking at job training, etc. So it should be a really exciting time. It, it's happening out of uh, Carolee Catalica's um, Office of Institutional Advancement with a lot of folks um, kind of diving in, including the foundation. So um, that's that's all for um, our um, for tonight. I'm looking forward to. Kim Lab Kaboom. Oh, yes, <laughs> Kim Lab Kaboom, and that you know, I don't know. May, either Eric or Amanda might address that. That Kim Lab Kaboom. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Forrest Quinlan will be <laughs> yeah, yeah. involved. Uh, yeah. It almost is synonymous, Forrest Quinlan, with Kim Lab Kaboom. You know, mm-hmm. almost, if you look it up. Mm-hmm. So um, that's my report for this evening. Okay. Thank you. All right. We will approve the minutes, but um, before we do, I just want to read off real quick. There were some changes uh, that were made. You probably saw some adjustments uh, come through, notifications. Uh, One was on 11. It was... uh, Trustee Martinson made a motion seconded by Trustee Baker to amend the minutes. Um, And that was the change. The yay votes were also changed. Uh, And then the second was 15.2. In the election of board officers, Trustee Martinson nominated Trustee Baldini and the original one, I think, said Baker, and it was seconded by uh, Trustee Sandu. And then the last were two corrections that I had, and they were just real simple. It said Academic Development Committee in American Canyon versus Economic. And there was another one, but I don't know where it went. I had another really simple one, but it's not on this list. But that's okay. So there were some changes that are already made, so the minutes should be pretty clean and ready to go. So without any... So should that already be reflected here, or that gets changed later, or how does that work? Some of them are reflected, or all of them reflected? No. Still, for item 11, anyway, it still says it's the same as before. Okay, well, those, the ones that I read are the ones that will be adjusted, yes. So with those changes, um, if there are no objections, we'll approve the minutes? Okay, minutes approved. And then the special meeting minutes, I don't think there were any changes to that, were there, Catherine? Okay. No, there were not. So with no changes or objections to approving those minutes, we'll approve those minutes. 
Okay, great. We shall move on. All right, so we are at 12.1, and before we get the presentation, I believe that we have a speaker here, Leon Browning, which wishes to uh, address the board on this agenda item. Good evening. My name is Leon Browning. I'm a director and past president of the Napa County Taxpayers Association. And I'm the person who requested this agenda item. Um, I also am the person who requested to have um, the after-action report done in 2015 after the lost uh, 2014 bond election. Um, I requested this agenda for several reasons. First, first because it seemed to me that the Godby poll was a really important um, poll an item that should be discussed, and I couldn't see that the uh, board was planning to put it up for public discussion. I mean, the the poll occurred last summer, and here we are in July. Excuse me, January. <clears throat> um, by the way, um, members of the Napa County Taxpayers Association are major stakeholders. Funny, we never see our name or any taxpayer organization when. Uh, we see stakeholders mentioned by the college for what's what's happening. Um, and we have attempted to meet with the facilities managers, uh, but we've been ignored. Uh, we wanted to discuss the facilities master plan. A second re- reason I requested um, this meeting was because I detected I, what I thought was some questionable information coming from the college regarding the findings in the poll. Last September, there was a public information release from the college that said over 57% of respondents indicated potential support for a local bond. My concern is that nowhere in the Godby poll does it say that uh, definitely yes, votes of 57%. In fact, the range of definitely yes responses from the respondents is from 22.7 to 28.4. And so my concern is if the college is going to put out information about what respondents are saying, they should say that there was a definitely yes category and a probably yes category. So in the report, I've, I detected um, four different charts, and they uh, were indicating levels of support by respondents. So I want to summarize them because it's a lot of information. I found a range of 22.7% to 28.4% were definitely yes votes. And you know I'll, I have to remind you that a school bond election requires 55% approval rating by voters. So if you're getting definitely yes votes of 22 to 28%, it's not there. Then there's a range of 26.9 to 34.7 that would probably vote yes. And this gives a total range if they add the two, which I wouldn't, but the college seems to be doing that, of 54% to 57 
right in the middle of where the um, voting has to come, has to come in. And interestingly enough, a, there's a range of, of, of people who would definitely vote no, and it's 16.8 to 26.9, and for each of the charts, it increased. So <laughs> it seems like the more they came back to people, the more the definitely no um, answers were given. If you average these four charts, you get 26% will definitely vote yes. You get 30% that would probably vote yes, which is a 56% uh, potential vote. And there's a 3.5% margin of error. So <laughs> statistically, it's questionable. What is significant to me is that um, each time one of these charts is uh, given, the definitely no vote continues to increase. 30 seconds, Liam. Pardon me? 30 seconds. 30 seconds? Okay. So in addition to this, these numbers, I'd like to refer you to the May 2014 poll by Fairbank Maslin done for the uh, 2014 election, uh, bond election. Their definitely yes was 25%, just 1% lower. Their probably yes was the same at 30. And all in all, very close results between the two and the 2014 election failed. I have a lot more to say, but thank you. Thank you. Did anyone else want to speak on that this item? I don't have any other cards, but yes. Chair? Yes. Are we allowed to extend time on this item? The motion is made. I think you can motion to extend time. For? To increase the speaker's time. Could a motion be made to do that? We have an, uh, three members of the Napa Valley County Taxpayers Association here. The three that are here are all past presidents or a current president of our association. My name is Jack Gray. I've been a member of the association since it was formed in 2010. So I've been at the at these meetings on your last bond measure which we campaigned against, and we intend to campaign against the bond measure again if the college is going to decide to do a bond. Now, I, I realize that your college president has told the local newspaper you haven't made a decision yet. Well, then I asked the trustees, how did you approve over $60,000? I've lost the number at maybe $80,000 to do polling and to hire a consulting term to help you pass a bond measure if you don't intend to do one. It appears to me that the I realized at least on one of these measures, Amy voted against it, but I think all of the trustees should vote against expending any money for a bond measure that you don't intend to propose. 
We have, in fact, in your past minutes, a layout of the steps it takes to get to a bond measure. Unfortunately, those steps look much like the failed bond measure. So what I see, classic definition of crazy. You know, it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You've lost two bond measures. You really want to lose the third one because you haven't corrected some of the problems from the past ones. You do have a facilities master plan, which is a step ahead, but you need to have some concrete numbers for specific items, which I have not seen one building that has a cost estimate. You know, how you're going to construct that building. And you need those. I don't know how you come up to $280 million. But that number has been used as a, as a target for this bond measure. Well, $280 million is enough to build, rebuild every building on this campus. If you look at what it costs to build the Archer Hotel downtown, on a square foot basis, you're going to find out how much you can get for $280 million, and you haven't got a cost estimate for one building yet. It's crazy. The other thing that's crazy is the trustees have voted money to promote a bond measure, to do the polling that you're going to hear about tonight. I, I and one of our other board members were polled. The questions asked included, uh, should we repair roofs at the college? Well, we had that on the last two bond measures to repair roofs at the college. I had to couch every one of those answers on the follow-up questions with, that would not change my vote as a definite no to the bond measure. But I don't know how God is going to tell you that that changed me from a no to a Potential, yes. There's, you know, he used some of the programs I know exist out here as would you support a bond measure because we have this program, for example, for EMTs. He didn't say we have it. He said, would you support the college in the EMT program? Well, we have. What's that got to do with the 280 million new bond measure? So the, the polling you got is what you paid for. You paid, again, for a consultant to tell you what you want to know, what you desire to know, and not what you need to know. What you need to know is you got to get something specific that you're going to do with $280 million before you agree to do it. Thank you. Thank you. Raphael? Uh, good evening. My name is Raphael Monzo, and I am the president of the Associated Students of Napa Valley College. Um, I'd like to just make a really brief, in my opinion, really simple comment on this item. Um, I I think that 
Well, in my opinion, I just I, I'd say that in my personal opinion, um, going out for a consultant before just even deciding to go out for a bond is not completely outrageous to me. I, I feel a lot better this time around when it when it comes to the bond with uh, well when it comes to the subject the topic of bonds. Um, in that uh, communication campus-wide, I mean, me at the student level, as the, the president of the, the student constituency, it, I feel way more included. Um, and, and I was on student government the last several bonds that were, you know, that were um, attempted. I, I, was in, I was involved in student government at the time. I was a senator. Um, now I am, this is my first presidency. Um, and I, from then to now, I, I see an, an extraordinary change in terms of the communication here on campus among all of the constituent groups, including my own, the students, um, who often felt in the previous years that we were not as informed or not invited into the conversations as much. And I feel that completely different this time around. Um, it's it's uh, really pleasing to me and, and, and my, my board, my team, uh, we we like being included. Um, Dr. Kraft has you know come to our meetings and presented to us there. We've gotten to ask him questions ourselves. So you know I just want to say that I feel a lot more included this time around, and I think that the college wouldn't enter wouldn't choose to go out for a bond if they knew they were going to lose. Not this time. I think that they might actually. That they wouldn't if the support wasn't there. If if the if this this survey, for example, if the data didn't show that they were going to pass, I don't think that they will go go out for it. So I I think that any panic that there may be about things already being decided or that the bond is going to happen, I think you know should should rest easy in that you know the the, the survey really just it, it is getting us what we wanted and you know community feedback. Um, and even here at, on campus, um, all of the communications that have gone out, um, I feel really included. I think a lot of the constituent groups on campus feel really included this time around, more than previously so, in, in, in the previous years. Um, so, uh, and, and, I, and I think that it's really, um, it's, it's the correct thing to do, to seek feedback from the community, to give them the opportunity to give that feedback, um, you, you just you don't want to miss it. If you have a chance to craft what a bond might be, like if we were going to go out for a bond, what would you want to be a part of it, and then and what would you not? Because that those that data is also welcome. What would you not want to be a part of the bond? All of that feedback is 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 necessary and valid, I think. Um, so my comment, it's simple, um, and and I think I just thought I'd share that is that where I am as the, the current constituent president for the students, um, I feel way more included. I know I'm repeating myself a lot, so uh, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I think we have one more speaker on this agenda item. Jill. What was that again? Barwick. 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 Yes. Okay. Yes, and good evening. Um, I am Jill Barwick, and I am the current president of the Napa Valley Taxpayers Association. And if you let me begin by expressing my disappointment in the failure of Mr. Kraft and the board to respond to my letter inquiring into the source of the funds for the poll, not even a phone call saying a response would be coming. 
I got nothing. Additionally, I received one of the phone calls and participated in this poll. I was dismayed at the questions being asked as they were so lopsided, misguiding, misleading, and they're worded in such a way as to deceive the respondent guaranteeing an affirmative response rather than accomplish what I assumed the purpose of the poll was to be, was to determine whether voters would pass a new bond. Questions are more along the line of, do you support veterans, veterans education? I mean, that, that wasn't the actual question. I'm not quoting the question. But the questions were designed to elicit an emotional response, not responses based on fact. They had little to do with the bond measure or the actual purpose of a bond. What kind of polling is that? That doesn't help anybody. With questions which were misleading and deceptive, it puts into question the intent of the parties who are putting out the bond. At best, the questions in the poll were an attempt to frame the issues and advocate for the passage of a new bond measure and were not for informational purposes. The college cannot use public funds and services to advocate for the passage or defeat of a ballot or bond measure, which it appears the board is engaging in, political advocacy with taxpayer funds, and it needs to stop immediately. Okay. Presentation. I don't see um, our speaker yet, and he may be fighting traffic a little bit. So there's there's two options that you might you might do. You might um, we might do a because I want to make sure that we really talk about uh, Mr. Gobby's not here, right? Yeah, I don't see a representative. No, that probably stuck. Um, so we can either come back to the item, or you can take a recess for ten minutes right now, and um, hope that um, he shows and. And we can go from there. But I really think it, we need the need the full presentation and the and the conversation about it, not to not to end it at this point. Uh, any thoughts, board? I would say we continue on and come back to it. What is everybody else? Is that kind of yes? Everybody's feeling okay. Great. Well, then we'll go ahead and move on and come back to the item. Um, and it appears somebody just walked in the door. We can get <laughs> <laughs> perfect Hi, timing. Hi, we were we were a little ahead, Brian, and um, we had decided actually um, pre your entrance to take a little a little break. But um, so we just had some, but we're not going to unless. But we certainly could. What's our next item? Just a, are you prepared, or do you need some time, Brian? And you're ready to go? Okay. Well, we'll just, uh, we'll give them a minute. Okay. Catherine, can you put on um, relaxing music for a moment? (laughs) (laughs) I have a question about the process. Um, So after, so unfortunately, Mr. Gobby didn't get to hear some of the feedback from the community on the survey, but... um, after he presents, will there be an opportunity if the public, as well as the board, has any questions or any more comments to make? There'll them? be an opportunity for the board to discuss. Okay, but not for the community. It, it, we have already taken all public comment up to that point. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Uh, good evening, uh, members of the board. Uh, Pleased to be here this evening to uh, 
present the data. Just get a little arranged here. Okay. So uh, let's just dive right in. And so, just just make sure that you're speaking into the mic so that oh, it goes okay. into the sure. recording. Sure. There you go. Uh, so to begin with, uh, as we know, we conducted a survey uh, for uh, the college. Uh, the data collection was a little different than you had done in previous surveys because the world is changing in the survey research business. Uh, and the way it's changing is uh, we've gone from just landline calls to landline and cell calls actually some time ago. But more recently, we've added email invitations and text invitations uh, to the various voters in our likely voter universe uh, to surveys that they would complete online or on a, uh, a cell phone or um, a tablet, depending on their preference. Uh, and that way we're making sure we're reaching everybody potentially in our universe. Uh, in fact, the uh, universe was the likely November 2018 voters uh, in the, the college district. We were in the field uh, from August 3rd through August 14th of last year, uh, which is fairly typical. Uh, the survey on the phone was 20 minutes long. We don't know how long it is online uh, because people can start, walk away, go have dinner, come back hours later, and finally hit the submit button. The com total number of interviews that we completed were 771. In terms of the four different modes, that was 257 landline, 117 cell phones, uh, 183 that were online from an email invitation, and 214 that were online from a text invitation. All of that leads to an error rate of plus or minus 3.5% for uh, the entire sample. <coughs> Excuse me. Moving on then to the, oops. Moving on to the key findings. Uh, the first question that is of import is uh, the ballot question. So this was asked twice, and you'll see that uh, as we go through here this evening. So this is a hypothetical uh, ballot question that we're asking about education bond support. Uh, you can see the wording in the box on the right-hand side of the slide. Uh, we call this uninformed because there's been no other information in the context of the survey other than the words that you see in that, that box. Um, the, those words are based on state law, at least state law at the time, uh, and that includes 75-word limit. Uh, we have to talk about the, the amount of the bond, et cetera. Some things have changed uh, as of the end of last year, so we would probably do this slightly different, but it's substantially the same. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the way we then ask this question is we ask, would you definitely vote yes, probably vote yes, probably vote no, definitely vote no, or don't know, no answer, or not sure. But for feasibility purposes, the way we've been analyzing this same data for 30 years now is we add the definitely yes and the probably yes together, uh, and that gives us a total of 56%. That's just above the 55% threshold needed to be successful uh, in this kind of election environment. Uh, there is a margin of error, so it could be a little bit lower than that, could be a little bit higher than that. That's a good place to start uh, without a lot of information. 
if you compare that also to the 2014 survey that was done for the district, not by us, but by another consultant, we were at 55% yes. On election day in 2014, we were basically in round numbers of 54. So you see, all of this is about the same. Um, but, but it's a good place to start, and we are a little higher than both of those other two numbers. Uh, just to give you a little bit of depth in the data that was um, presented in our final report, uh, you can see we break it down by gender. Uh, here, uh, men are a little bit more supportive at 59% and women at 53%. Uh, we also have it broken down by age, and here the 40 to 49s were the most supportive. The 50 to 64s were the least supportive. Uh, that's fairly typical uh, throughout uh, the state of California. Uh, the next set of questions that we asked uh, were the, the priorities, and these are the top priorities, or at least they show the ranking of those priorities based on the respondents' uh, opinions. What we did is we read this list, which you see some of them abbreviated here, uh, in a random order. And then once we get the answers, we go back and do our data processing. We assign numeric values to each of the responses. So a much more likely gets a 2, a somewhat more likely gets a 1, a somewhat less likely gets a minus 1, and a much less likely gets a minus 2. Uh, that gives us a scale that ranges from a minus 2 on the low end to a plus 2 on the high end. The reason we do this rather than just add percentages, which we can do also, is this shows the intensity of uh, the priority from the respondent's point of view rather than just the percentages. For example, you could have something that is 40% much more likely and 20% somewhat more likely that adds up to 60%. Uh, you could have something else that was 20% much more likely and 40% somewhat more likely that also adds up to 60%. And so there's a big difference between those 60%, and I haven't even talked about the negative side of the equation, which is in this. Uh, model as well. So this really gives you the intensity based on uh, the actual responses, not just a, a gross look at the percentage, uh, the total percentage on one side or the other. We also look at tiers, uh, and those tiers represent things that are statistically tied, uh, and while they may be numeric differences, they are grouped together and they are essentially the same. Uh, that difference from high to low in a tier is 0.2. Uh, and that's what you see reflected in these charts where we added the, the lines showing Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3 here. Uh, in Tier 1, uh, we have a variety of items uh, that uh, at the top of the list. Let me get the full wording for some of those um, because that's important as well. Uh, at the top of the list, we have upgrade uh, computer labs and classrooms and instructional technology. You can see there's ellipses in there, and that's just designed to be able to get everything on one chart so you can get a really a sense of what the relationship between the various items are. Uh, repair and upgrade vocational classrooms is second. Modernize and update science lab, science classrooms and labs, uh, third. Uh, provide new chemistry, physics, engineering, geology. Uh, you can see there's lots of science, STEM kinds of interest here uh, in terms of the facilities that rank at the top of the list. Uh, and then we have update classrooms and educational facilities to meet current earthquake, fire, and safety codes, so kind of a health and safety bed. Those are the top items in Tier 1. Uh, tier 1 starts at 65%. Uh, as you can see, when we go all the way down to the bottom of Tier 3, we're at 45%. Obviously, those things are not priorities for the voters. It is the things in Tier 1 
consider the most important. But we also have additional data based on uh, some of the demographics. Uh, again, you see uh, gender here. There's a couple items that uh, men are have ranked higher, uh, upgrade science labs and classrooms and instructional technology, um, and also modernize and update science labs. Everything else, basically women uh, prioritize at a higher level, uh, which is not surprising when we're looking at educational issues. Again, by age, uh, you can look at this data either by column or by row. Uh, if you're looking at it by row, it tells you which demographic group thinks that's the most important. When you look at it by column, you can find out what that demographic group thinks is the most important overall. Uh, so uh, both ways are correct, uh, but you get a, again get the sense of the richness of the data. The next set of questions looks very similar, uh, at least in terms of the chart, to what we just looked at. This is informational uh, items that are of greatest interest to the respondents. Uh, the methodology is similar in that we ask them, would you be much more likely to support this measure or somewhat more likely, or does it have no effect? You'll notice there's no negative side of the equation. So we do the same thing mathematically and statistically uh, and create tiers the same way. The only thing is you can't compare these scores, apples to apples, with the previous question because the scale is different. Uh, but it still helps us know what the respondents' priorities are in terms of the information that's important to them. So at the top of this list, uh, and again, uh, there's ellipses in here which are uh, designed so we can get everything on the chart so you can see the relationships. But at the top of the list, we have every penny from this measure will benefit Napa Valley Community or Napa Valley College campuses and education centers be controlled locally and cannot be taken by the state. So there's a lot more, obviously, than what fits on the slide. Uh, number two is the measure will help the college provide technical, uh, career technical education in fields such as welding, machine, tool technology, and other trades. Uh, the third item is the measure will provide campus facilities that provide job training and specialized services for returning veterans. Uh, the fourth item is this measure requires citizens' oversight and yearly reports to the community to keep the college accountable for how the funds are spent, so obviously an accountability component that's important to the, the respondents. And then fifth, uh, the measure will expand campus veteran services to assist veterans returning to civilians. So those are the top five. But there's a lot of things in the top tier. They range from 71% uh, at the high end of our ranking down to 62%. All of those are substantially above the 55% threshold necessary to be successful for this kind of measure. Uh, that were not, those were not the only items that we asked. Uh, there were a whole variety of others. These are a, a lower tier, uh, and you can see it continues tier one at 65% into the uh, mid-60s from where we started, uh, and then tier two goes down from there to the, uh, the high 40s, which obviously is not above the 55% threshold. So the next question that we have shows the progression in that hypothetical uh, educational bond measure and where we go from the initial test at 56.1, which I said was a good place to start, to 57.4, 
statistically they're about the same, but it is the direction that we would like to see after people get all of this information, what we'd spend the money on, uh, as well as the additional details. Uh, and, and we'd like to see it go that way, obviously, because that suggests that the community is receptive to this kind of measure. Uh, this is exactly, again, the same wording, so we can compare that first and final test. Uh, again, we have demographic information, uh, and now that we've sort of flipped. The women are more supportive right at 60%, uh, and men are right at the 55% threshold necessary uh, for a Prop 39 bond to be successful. Uh, in terms of the age groups, the 18 to 29-year-olds are the most supportive. Uh, the least supportive are the 30 to 39-year-olds, uh, but we're also seeing support um, above 55% for the 40 to 49s and the 65-plus. The 50 to 64s are just at a little bit below the 55% threshold. We also have the data by city, uh, and so here you can see how it breaks down uh, across the county. Uh, actually, of course, just a little bit in another county, so I should really say that county. Uh, but that is just such a small part, it's really not statistically significant. American Canyon, we're at 67%. Calistoga, we're at 87%. Napa is the lowest at 82, or at 52. Uh, Santa Lena is at 66. Uh, Yountville is at uh, 76. And the unincorporated areas at 57. The, um, <clears throat> final substantive question in the survey uh, was a follow-up to that the hypothetical bond measure question. Uh, and here what we're doing is asking them a reaction to different tax rates, not just the, uh, the total gross bond amount. Uh, and this is asked in descending order, so we start at 25, then 22, then 20, then 15. If you go the other way, nobody it just doesn't show you anything because nobody goes up. Uh, <clears throat> so what we're looking for is a tipping point and you can see here, as we go down and get closer to the $15 level, we get closer to the 55% threshold necessary uh, to be successful. <clears throat> uh, the rest of the um, survey really it reports on the demographics. I'm happy to go through those, although uh, it's a deference to the board's calendar. Um, we, the strategy for the sample um, to make sure it's representative is we start by looking at all the demographics in our likely universe and we create a stratified cluster sample that matches those demographics on the back end. Then we weight to those same demographics uh, so it's representative of the universe. So everything that's in here basically is the voter file for the likely November 2018 voters. So there's nothing um, unusual about it. It's what who we expect to vote. What may be unusual uh, to some of you uh, who haven't seen this kind of data before, the number of children in the household is relatively low, uh, and that's because these are voters. Voters are typically older, so there aren't uh, 18 or younger children in the household. Uh, social media is going up, not surprising. Uh, gender is uh, always a little bit more uh, female than male in the likely voter universe. Um, age, and this underscores the point about the um, children in the household, 37% of the likely voters are 65 plus. Uh, so while they may be parents, they're not parents of school-aged children anymore. Uh, there's another 30% in the 50 to 64 age group. So 
you're looking at 67% of the voters that are over 50. Uh, that, again, is typical for this kind of election uh, in California. Uh, I could go on if you want, or we could just uh, it's at the board's preference. I think it was great information. Um, it would, would we like to go through the rest of the information, or do we have enough information? I mean, we've seen this. Most of us have seen this information, so... Um, we can, we can, I think, go to discussion and take some questions. And, um, but I think the depth of the information was great. Really appreciate it. Okay. So, uh, Trustee Martinson. Um, as far as the demographics, I was wondering if you could talk about, uh, what you were looking for in the voting history and how that relates to strategy. Uh, what we do when we t pick a universe, obviously, we sit down with our clients and say, you know, what elections are available to you from state law. Prop 39 uh, limits your um, elections that you can actually put on the ballot to those that are regularly scheduled. So that usually means June and November of even years. Uh, from there, we do an, uh, an algorithm that is based on a couple things. It's not just the three of five kind of scenario. We have literally 25 years of election data, uh, and so what we do is we look at the when you registered to vote uh, and how many elections you had available. Uh, and so conceivably somebody who registered 20 years ago had lots of elections, so we want to see lots of election behavior. Uh, but somebody who registered to vote, uh, in this case, in uh, 2016, uh, in, let's say, January, and voted in both the primary and the general, even though those are presidential elections, it, and, but that's all they had available to them, they would be included in this, whereas some other people might have four or five elections that they need to have participated in to be included. So it's a little bit of a sliding scale based on the registration date. So from that, did you draw any conclusions related to the, the bond measure and Napa Valley College based on what you looked at? Well, yeah, so based on that sample which is what we believe the turnout to be, and we've been pretty close uh, across time, even with some of the dilations that we've seen uh, in the presidential election years uh, in the last uh, two or three times out. Uh, the, the data that we talked about in terms of those hypothetical uh, bond elections, uh, that's within the error rate and what we expected. So we're right at that 56, 57 percent uh, with a 3.5 percent error. I just had one more question. Okay. Um, so I was wondering about the bond language. Um, one of the topics, it says uh, that the bond money would be used to improve veteran services. And I didn't think that bond money could be used for services. I thought it had to be for construction. So is the implication that if they veterans get a new center, that that will improve services? Uh, yeah, the short answer is yes. Uh, the longer answer um, and I don't know if you have um, counsel here, uh, legal counsel, but what they would tell you is that the full text of your measure is going to be pages and pages long. Uh, that will appear in the voter handbook. This, by definition, because it's limited to 75 words, is only a summary. Uh, so it's the best summary of what you're intending to do. Uh, obviously, yes, you can't spend bond money on services, but you can create facilities to provide those services. 
Okay. On Trustee Baker. I'm just curious of, as to your opinion on something, actually. You expect more turnout in a presidential election. November 2018 is not going to be one. However, given our current political climate, are you are, are people in your line of work expecting a higher turnout? Uh, that's a great question. Um, uh, the answer is yes and maybe. Uh, the yes answer uh, applies to June for sure. Uh, and I saw a survey literally uh, right before I came over here uh, that nationwide that says um, the Democratic Party is looking forward to the election more than the Republican Party is. And it's a 10-point shift of where it was uh, leading into the presidential election two years ago. Uh, so that's huge. And when you ask people about their uh, political philosophy within the two parties, uh, the liberal end of the Democratic Party is even more enthusiastic about this next election, uh, and the conservative wing of the Republican Party is the least uh, enthusiastic. So that's the na on the national front. The thing that's the no part of the answer is that in the primary, we have a gubernatorial election that's very hotly contested. Obviously, there was a debate over the weekend. Um, but because of California state law, which no longer says pick one from column A and one from column B for the November, top two vote-getters are Gavin Newsom and Antonio Villarosa, uh, we could have two Democrats. Uh, just like we did in the U.S. Senate race in 2016, uh, facing off in the general election. And what we saw in the um, – now that's at the top of the ticket. In 2016, we obviously had a Democrat and Republican running for president, uh, so the turnout was what we would have thought. But the people that didn't vote um, in the U.S. Senate race uh, and then returned to vote in the congressional race is the first time we've ever seen that dip. What we have never seen before is if we do have two Democrats running for governor in November, what is that going to do to Republican turnout? Um, Nobody really knows. We all have some guesses from the Senate race. There were obviously some Republicans that voted but didn't vote in the Senate race. So with the gubernatorial race being at the top of the ticket, are those same kinds of people just not going to show up? We don't really have an answer for that. And then uh, uh, age. In mm -hmm. some presidential elections, as we might think might happen this year, uh, is that there could be uh, a younger voter right. turnout, right. stronger turnout. Right. Um, and so how would that change? Yeah, um, typically in California, um, and I think it's true here as well, uh, what we saw is millennials didn't vote quite as much as the, some thought that, or hoped they would, uh, and they're the ones, some of the, the voters that are particularly engaged um, yet again, because they didn't think it didn't turn out the way they thought it was going to turn out and that they thought they could take a pass. So younger voters are probably part of that uh, group of people that I mentioned in the Democratic side of the spectrum that are looking forward to the next election. Um, sort of to play catch up. Okay. Anyone else? Michael? Any questions? On the... the uh questions themselves, these were ID'd or was this fishing, if you will? 
provide facilities to prepare students. Those were provided by... Yeah, those are all items that we provided. There are no open-ended questions. That's the other kind where we say, what's most important to you? And then we just listen. So we wanted to make sure that we got people to respond to all of the things that um, are on your potential facilities list. Uh, so we got an idea of what the voters' priority is so we know what's important to them and what's not important. Thank you. One more question, if anybody else doesn't. Let me, let me see what the rest of the board has. Kyle, do you have anything? Rosa, Rafael? Well, I don't have a direct question at this point. I'm, I'm kind of trying to digest all of this, and, and I'm, I have to say that I'm still considering this, given the numbers that that this shows that we're at that 56%, not much different than the last time. So um, in this whole process we're going through, I think I think it's necessary to find out whether the community, in fact, uh, wants this, wants you know to improve the facilities here, and and exactly what pr the priorities would be. But I am still exploring this and, and waiting to receive the additional information that we're working through our process that we're using uh, before we decide whether we will go out for the bond. So um, it's kind of a comment slash question. Um, before you came, uh, one of the maybe two speakers mentioned the risk of combining the Definitely yes, with the probably yes, and calling that support. Um, my concern with that was when you look, um, after all the information is provided about the bond, um, the total number of the, those combined numbers does increase, but the there's a shift at where there's a decrease from definitely yes to probably yes. And at the same token, in terms of the probably no and definitely no, that increases with more information. Um, the undecided stayed exactly the same with more information. So to me, there's just a concern that when they get more information, uh, even though overall it might look good at first glance, really there was a shift away from definitely yes to probably yes and an increase from definitely, probably no to definitely no. Um, different Method, different pollsters have different methodologies, uh, and it's important to sort of put that in the context of what each methodology or each pollster has done uh, historically um, and how that's turned out on Election Day. Historically, we have always added the two of them together. Uh, and the reason or our rationale for that is there is no probably yes on the ballot. You're either yes or no. Uh, and so the same thing is true with the probably no's. Uh, and what we've found for over 30 years now is that you can do that and be predictive of what happens in Election Day and that if we were to take the 34%, uh, 35% in round numbers away, we would be dramatically underestimating the support for this measure. Um, and that we've literally put hundreds of measures on the ballot and we've been successful in 95% of them. Uh, hundreds of measures worth tens of billions of dollars. Um, so that's our methodology. Now, others have another category called leaners, and what those are is they take the 11.6% and say, are you leaning yes or are you leaning no? 
Now, we don't do that because, well, I think that if we were asking a question about who you're going to vote for for president, the leaners make sense because somebody's not going to go to the polls uh, on a presidential election and not vote. So that's useful information. But when you get this far down the ballot, what happens is those pushing the undecided uh, and saying leaning one way or another overinflates the yes and the no. Uh, and we don't do that because we think that those people have a third option, and that is do not vote. Uh, and, in fact, when you look at the, uh, the actual ballots cast and the number of votes on every issue, the further you get down a presidential ballot or a gubernatorial ballot, the smaller the number is on measures like this. So that's where we would agree that uh, you'd be overinflating and overestimating the support if you were to push those leaners, those undecideds, into a lean camp. But the probably yes and the definitely yes, we're really comfortable with using that as a, a combined yes vote. About, though, from your experience, seeing that with more information that there's a shift within those two demogra- there's two statistics, a shift away from probably yes, or pro- definitely yes to probably yes. I mean, the, the difference between the two uh, is certainly not the way we'd want to see it go, uh, because obviously we're trying to get to a yes, but uh, we the 25.4 and the 27 22.7, Statistically speaking, there's absolutely no difference between those. The same is true for the 30.7 and 34.7 because you've got a 3.5% error rate on the overall of the survey, but when you look at an individual category, that error rate goes up, and you have to remember it doubles. So let's just say uh, off the cuff that the error rate becomes about 7% when you're just looking at the probably yeses. So you'd need to see a 14-point difference uh, from one to the next for it to be statistically significant. And obviously we're talking about a four-point difference. Uh, so uh, I think it's statistically insignificant. Is there, is there another survey in our near future? What are the next steps that make sense? Yeah, what most of our uh, clients do is they'll do a preliminary survey to sort of say, yeah, should we move forward with this process and spend the time and effort and resources? Uh, And and this suggests that the answer is yes. Uh, And then usually as close as we can get to the actual election, but before the board has to vote to put a measure on the ballot, uh, we do a tracking survey to find out have these numbers changed? Uh, Are they higher? Are they lower? Uh, One of the trustees, Trustee Rios, said, you know, at 57 he's not sure. That would help answer those sorts of questions one way or the other for the board. Uh, And we would typically, the deadline for the board to make a decision is the first Friday following the first Monday in August. Um, Now your board meetings may back it up from there, uh, but we would want to try to be in the field as close to that board meeting as possible to still get you data. I have one question. Um, On the renter-to-owner rate and why were we pulling renters uh well everybody gets to vote um uh and and renters show up at the polls too uh it's true that this ultimately is a property tax and they don't pay it uh but they they get to vote this is not a 
Prop 218 measure where only property owners vote. That's a different kind of election proceeding. It's not technically an election. Uh, it's a property owner ballot. But this is not that kind of election. Uh, so those people can vote and do. Thank you. And I think to be clear, I don't know if anybody else wants to put any, add anything to this, but um, these are all the steps that we need to be taking for this board. You know, at this part, we are not advocating. We are not saying no to it. Um, we are hoping to gather the type of information that will help us to make that decision uh, when that time comes. So does anybody else on the board feel like there's something that would push you one way or the other? Or, um, or are you feeling let's just continue this direction um, and continue gathering this, this information? I think it's a very important issue uh, that would greatly benefit what we do and what we saw previously as to the, the type of education and programs that we offer and the caliber of students that we are producing, I think we should go forward with it. Continue with the with this process of gathering more data and making sure that that this is what the community will also support. And that they will be the community will benefit from this whole bond issue. So let me give others opportunity if they have. I think it's it's useful information, obviously. It's also great hearing from the public. Thanks, Jack and Leon and Jill for coming in. And I think there's someone else that wants to speak. I don't know if it's on this issue from the public. Um, I think it's, I, there's nothing at this point that's going to push me over one way or another where to call on it tonight. So I think it's good to continue forward and have this information because it is a big decision. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd say the college is better off having a bond than not having a bond. And in that aspect, it makes sense to go out for one. As long as money is spent on what we say it's going to be spent on, I'd like to see it go through. And with the way some of our science classes are packed, my, bio my biology class is almost 50 people in it, massive. It would, be, it, would, it would be nice to see a class with maybe 30 people in those very packed classes and going out for a bond would help that. So that's my comment. Okay. Let's definitely continue the conversation and explore the, the options available to us. Certainly, uh, the documents presented allows, a, in, in any event, a, a more focus on, on what the need is to identify that and make sure we communicate. But well, that is a decision as far off until we join the conversation and, and listen to the, to the different groups. I did. Um, Hold on one second. Okay. Go ahead. I was just curious. Um, you mentioned doing a follow-up survey uh, closer to making a decision. Do you change the um, language of the survey, or is it identical? Um, 
Well, it's always better to be as close to the language as possible because then we have a really good time series. Uh, having said that, we've learned information from this survey, and so one of the things we would look at is the bullet list here and make sure that this matches the voters' priorities. At this, but it's not just the survey. That's also your master planning process, too, is refining uh, what your needs are. So we, we do have to balance those two factors, and that one usually winds up the ballot question changes. I was just, I, I think I echo, I'm not sure if it was Leon, Jack, or Jill that uh, mentioned, I think at some point the board, you know, you get enough information, so at some point we probably would want to draw the line on how much we were going to spend on surveys and probably just make the decision one way or another. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Something Can I into, yeah. Okay. So um, kind of piggyback on what Kyle just said, um, since the board already allocated money to do surveys, and I know um, the one for the college uh, constituencies is already in effect, so of course I think that would be really important to see that data. But in terms of the community data, um, I, I personally feel it's too close, and my interest would be that um, I agree with Manvir, a, a bond would benefit the college. However, I would want to know that it was going to pass, and we've talked about it before, that a third failure would really be devastating um, in terms of passing a future bond, um, and I think it's an unfair legacy to lead the next president. Um, so uh, I would only want to pursue it if it was very clear that it was going to pass, and if not, I would want to wait and continue to build trust and confidence and get input in terms of what people want to see happen here at the college and help ensure that one actually passes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's maybe a little bit further down the road, but right now I think the conversation is we want to keep getting this information and we want to keep uh, gaining our knowledge um, on what possibly could take place or what might happen. So um, anything, do you have anything to no, I think yeah. it's. Um, I I appreciate that the, uh, the the conversation, and so I I think the next what I hear as staff, and for us is now for us to engage in the in the next piece of the feasibility, which is go out to the community, talk with all the stakeholders, including the the taxpayers groups. There's three or four of them in the in the county. We'll talk with each of them, and my guess is that we'll also speak with you know teachers and everyone else. So now it's time to do that. So. This I, over the period of the next three months or so, we'll be doing just exactly that and um, report that back to the board for updates. Yeah, and I and I do think I'm going to go with what Rafael said as well is that I do believe that the inclusiveness um, in this process has been much greater than it was the last time, which I think will uh, make a big, big, big difference. So, Mr. Hinton, hang on one just one second. Um, so. I think we're good. Thank you. Anything else that you? Trustee Mancuso, yes. Chair, can I just make just one really quick point before Mr. Hinton speaks? Um, I think we'll move on. Okay. okay. Well, we need to we have a move on? motion to end discussion. I just would like to make one last point. It's an important topic. There I don't is think we no should rush it. Action.
um, to make on this one. There's right, no but it's our chance this. to discuss it, and I just would like to make one last point, please. Okay. Um, I just I want to honor what um, Ms. Barwick said about just as we move forward and continue to get information from the community, you know, the board's role is oversight, um, and I just want to make sure that we do follow the law in terms of not advocating for the bond and instead stay focused on gathering information from the community. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And um, Mr. Mr. Hinton, so typically what you want to do is before the presentation, so right as the agenda item comes up, that's when we typically will, um, you know, welcome speakers on a particular agenda item. So if you have something brief, please go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Um, most of the time you give the presentation so that we can receive the presentation before we give you our our feedback. So it's hard for us when you don't even have a copy of it. You could have put a copy it next to your agenda, and then we could be a little more prepared to give you data. But it's easier as a community member for us to receive the data first, then tell you what you feel. That's how they do it at all the other school boards, city councils, board of supervisors in the greater Bay Area. So I think, uh, I'll go back to three and a half years ago, I attended a debate over there for two of you that are up there, and there was a preliminary debate featuring Mr. Browning over here about the school bond, and I heard a lot of the points he made tonight back then. But spending $60,000 of survey, $60,000 of tax money for this survey um, to get 771 results, that works out to about $80 a phone call. That's a little steep, I, I think. And it sounds like it was more of a um, asking, you know, what's your favorite pickup line? You know, asking people, hey, what's the best thing you'd want to hear if we wanted to sell you something, you know, for $280 million? And going through your data, it would be nice if we could see the complete sentences and have the full results of the data so we know what the whole question was. And I would also say that maybe some such a small sample, some of the data could have been cherry-picked, targeting, you know, like we heard, apartment renters that are more likely to support something if it doesn't have a financial impact to them. And when you look at the price, if you continue forward with more surveys, I hope you might go with a different firm. Um, this person wasn't even here on time today. That's a lot of money, like I said, and they're not even here on time to hear what the community is saying about their survey. And I would bet that me, Jack, and Leon, for 30000 could pull 300 people each and bring you back 900 results of what the community thinks about this um, here uh, data you have here. Thank you. Ask a question. Um, if I was on Boyd Docs and I went in through the website and I went on Boyd Docs, could I find this agenda item with this attached uh, survey? Mm -hmm. Okay, just wanted yes. to make sure. Okay, so we will wrap up uh, this item on the agenda, and uh, thank you, Mr. Copy, for uh, the, your presentation. And we will move on to uh, the consent calendar.
Is there a motion to approve the consent calendar? I just want to pull 13.3. Okay. Pulling 13.3. I have a, excuse me, on, on um, the financial back documents, I have a uh, exclusion or a, I'd like to recuse myself from a particular check number. The check number is zero three zero 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 five. The Dub Sports, and with that, I move approval of the consent calendar with that exception. Is there a second? Second. Bob, I just saw your face. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that the financial documents are not part of the consent calendar. Consent calendar. That's right. <laughs> There it is, 14.3. That's under active items. Right, we'll save it then. Okay. But I, I'll strike that. I'll, I'll go ahead. Thank you for that, Approval of, of the uh, consent calendar. Second. Okay. So that's Baldini moved to approve the consent calendar and Rios, Trustee Rios, second. All in favor? Is that without my item? That is without uh, 13.3. So that's approving 13.2 as well as 13.4. All in favor? Do we have electronic voting? Oh, do we? No. Not on consent. Aye. 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 Any abs- Aye. Okay. That was unanimous. Aye. All right. Consent calendar. So is is approved. Uh, do we move 13.3 or do we take that up now? Take it. It's been moved to item to become item 14.1. Okay. All right. So we move to action items and 14.1, which was formerly known as 13.3. And Trustee Martinson, uh, what is is your concern on uh, that item? I just um, wanted to draw the board to the board's attention that uh, very late an addendum was added to the HR document because probably most people didn't see that uh, when they were preparing for the meeting. So just want to draw that to the board's attention. That what happened? An addendum to the HR document was added and uploaded pretty late, so people probably didn't see it. And what was the addendum? Um, the, Cap- Cameron Craft was taken off the personnel document. Okay. Apparently that was uh, an error. I don't think it was a... Uh, yeah. Sure. I, since, since we're talking about it, yes, um, his name was listed in error and um, removed on purpose. Okay. So... Uh, Electronic voting is not available since it was consent. Oh, on that one, it's not. Okay. All right. So, uh, move approval. Baldini. Baldini moves. Iverson second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion passes.
Okay. Moving right along to action items. Uh, 14.1, fall curriculum changes. Oh, that's right. It's going to be 14.2. You refresh. Mm-hmm. Okay. We do have electronic voting on this. I'm sorry, what was that? We do have electronic voting available on this one. Okay, great. I move so approval. We need a motion on 14, now 14.1. I move Two. approval for 14.2. Okay, so we have a uh, motion by Trustee Rios and second by Trustee Iverson. All in favor? Aye. 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 Oh. Yes. <laughs> are you, t- are you wanting, wanting to take it electronically? Yes, and we need uh, Trustee Iverson's vote. I just did it. Oh, okay. It carries unanimously. Thank you. 14.3, approval of the 2017-19 Integrated Plan, Basic Skills Initiative, Student Equity, and Student Success and Support Required by Chancellor's Office. Motion? So moved. Second. Segura. Segura moves, and Iverson second. Is, is there going to be a presentation on the student equity plan? There, there's there's a presentation, but but if you have questions, we have two members from the steering committee here. Uh, we have Mr. Willis and Dr. Alamo. Okay, it just it seems it's very important. So in the past, we've so had we had a move. presentation. Okay, so we move. We had a second. And any discussion, which would include any questions that might be asked of somebody who can answer them. Do you have a question? Who, who am I asking? I'm Ask sure me who and, you're and, saying. And we have two, two, two members of the committee as well, so. Okay. Mr. Alamo uh, and Howard Willis. I guess if you have a specific question, you should ask, but, but, but. If it's to present the entire plan, I don't think that usually was highlights maybe of the plan. Um, so we welcome anyway. Mr. Willis and Mr. Alamo. I just, Ms. Chair, if you had it, did you look at it before? So do we? Do you want to see a presentation, or do you have specific questions from when you read it earlier? Well, again, it's an important plan, and I've, I've heard of boards that actually do pre-board workshops or special meetings just on this plan. It's that. So, and usually we have at least had a presentation, and then we can ask, ask questions and have discussions. So I just was expecting that, because that's what we're used to. So. Well, we but if we're doing things differently, second. then I'll just ask questions, I guess. Go ahead and ask, yes, go ahead and ask okay. your question. Or Actually, I guess it's more a comment. Um, so <laughs> the first part, um, which is kind of looking at last year's plan, um, I guess my concern first initially was that when there's discussion about progress and accomplishments from last year, um, it's not really based on outcomes and data. It's more just describing activities that took place. Um, and so 
first I had a concern about that, that just we're not separating out this idea of outcomes versus the activities, which are the method to achieve those outcomes. Um, I felt a little more encouraged when I went down in the document and it talked about future plans and it said that um, in the future that um, that the goals must be outcome-based. Uh, so that's good that that's a part of the future plan. Um, but then on page 13, the first two goals are outcome-based, but then goals three through five are, again, activity-based. Um, so then that made me concerned again. So anyway, I just want to just kind of generally make a point that I hope that that is the future plan is to move towards, again, looking at when we talk about goals, looking at what are our outcomes. So we're talking about things like, you know, improving um, course completion rates, improving transfer rates, graduation rates, and so forth. And then the activities are the method in terms of how we're going to achieve those outcomes and just keeping those really clear. Ms. Chair, just for future reference as we move forward in this new year, if if it's a question, is it going to be a question or is it no, going this to was be a comment? I, I'm just curious. This was a comment. I always had questions leading up to the comment, but since we have don't have presenters, I just thought I would go in straight with my comments. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we're approving this tonight, so we can't do anything about what was done last year. But in terms of looking ahead um, and the future goals. Um, if we accept this tonight, this is goes in stone, or is there still opportunities to, for example, the five goals to um, make them all outcome based, or is this kind of set in stone if we prove this tonight? Again, this there's this a plan. It's to your plan, and the expectation is that there's 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 flexibility in making the modifications as are deemed necessary by the institution. So your your comment is something that that can be modified, that can be adjusted. Uh, but but currently we have this uh, deadline of, of the end of this month to submit it and, and approved. And so, uh, given your 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 comments and, and your notes, uh, we can look at those 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 modifications make it more clear for you. Thank you. May I ask a quick comment or ask a quick question? I, I'm confused now, which is which. Uh, so is this this is a required report, correct? That's correct. And this meets the the requirements. That's correct. But there is. Apparent from your last comment, um, there is potential for improvement Absolutely. as we go along. Without question. Thank you. Board, may I? Just add a yes. Comment. May I? Uh, and just to furthermore to add that this is a um, integrated plan. There's still three separate plans that have goals and outcomes that have been vetted and went through the process already. We needed to combine five goals that are across those plans. And so we're still required by law because it's legislative plans to meet our other goals and objectives within the separate plans. So it's, it's, it's really extensive, but the California Community Colleges, as you know, are moving more towards integrated services. And so this was an integrated and very thorough process. And I do want to... Um, Think you know the committee members. Thank the faculty. I mean, there was a there was a lot of involvement uh, in this process. But just to answer your question, thank you. And um, I appreciate what you said, um, Mr. Darrow, about that. There's you're open to feedback. So yeah, so that's my general feedback. And then in terms of the five goals, um, like for example, there was no goal on increasing graduation and transfer rates. I mean, that's what we're here for. That's 
seems like it should always be an outcome that we're looking for. So anyway, but I appreciate your feedback, and I like, I'm sure it was a lot of work combining those plans, and so thank you for your hard work on it. Okay. Any other board member need any additional information on that? If not, I'll look for a motion to. Chair. Chair. Excuse me, who was the second? I have a question. What is an early alert system? It's under uh, integrated goal number five. An early alert system? That, that is a system that will help identify some of the academic challenges of students at a much earlier rate so that we can provide uh, proactive uh, efforts to support them, whether it's getting uh, them into uh, tutoring or success centers earlier, uh, we get feedback, work directly with faculty. So our goal, going back to the comment about, um, you know, the graduation piece, the outcomes, that is what the system will do, but it requires uh, work, uh, very close work with our faculty uh, who are in the classroom. And so we're part of that is developing a work group um, with faculty uh, about and, and looking at various early alert systems, which we have, you know, throughout uh, other California Community Colleges that we'll be looking at. So that's our plan. Actually, I thought I read somewhere, did LGBTQ students get added to the list of students that had to be addressed in the student equity plan? Because I thought I read that somewhere, and I didn't see that here. Not as of yet, or at least not that I'm aware of. What, what, we, what the Chancellor's Office did start to provide to the California Community Colleges were numbers from the... Um, the uh, application process, which is something that we have not had uh, reported back to us before. Okay, thank you. Okay, do you have who made the motion and second? I do not have the second. Okay. I think I lost. Did I move to approve? You moved to approve. So Segura, and then it was Iverson, right? So Segura moved to made the motion and uh, Iverson second. Online voting has been opened. Thank you both for uh, the vote is unanimous. Vote carries. Motion carries. Thank you. We have a huge list of action items here to go through, so I would like to suggest that we take a 10-minute break. All right. 